Welcome to The Wealth Intersection with Megan Gorman. In this program, you'll hear fascinating stories from science, technology, finance, and the arts. Learn how dynamic individuals created their paths to success and the wealth intersections that occurred. It's where you might just find the answers on how you can pursue your passion while creating the necessary foundation to build personal wealth. And now, here is Megan Gorman. Welcome to The Wealth Intersection. I'm Megan Gorman and I'm your host. Today with me, I have Amanda Brinkman, who is the Chief Brand Officer at Deluxe Corporation and the creator, producer, and host of the hit series, Small Business Revolution Main Street. This show was named among Inc. Magazine's top shows for entrepreneurs. In the inspirational reality show, Brinkman showcases her love for small towns by spearheading efforts to revitalize entire communities and providing makeovers to small businesses across America. In the first two seasons of the show, Amanda partnered with Robert Herchevich, but in seasons three and four, she's working with renovation icon Ty Pennington in the small business revolution, first in a small town in Illinois, and then this season, she's in Searcy, Arkansas. And tomorrow, Amanda will be announcing the top 10 semifinalists for season five. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled that you're here. So, so let's talk about Small Business Resol- Revolution because I've been watching season four and I have to tell you what I love about the show is the amazing energy. But before we actually get into the details of the show, give us some insight. What is the Small Business Re- Revolution? So the Small Business Revolution is a series, a documentary series, where each season we revitalize a different small town's main street through its small businesses. Um, So the thesis of the show is really trying to prove how important small businesses are to our communities. And um, it's basically a makeover show for small businesses, for entrepreneurs, uh, but we do it with heart. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So I have to ask, are you from a small town? I am not from a small town. My husband is and my parents are and I grew up, um, you know, going to a a cabin in a small town most of my life. But I have to say, you know, when you think about a small town, the things that you tell people to do when they go there or the reasons to visit are the small businesses. You know, you talk about that second generation bowling alley or the barbershop where you remember your dad getting his hair cut or the diner where they have the best pancakes you've ever had. I mean, you talk about those small businesses. So while I'm not from a small town, I have a great appreciation for the sense of community you get in these smaller communities, as well as, you know, just how vital these small businesses are to the success of their community. Yeah, see, it's interesting. I'm actually from a small town. And the one thing that struck me in watching the show is that it does a very good job of picking up on um, the camaraderie that occurs quite naturally in these small towns across the country. And I don't know yeah, if that was something really you were seeking. See. I didn't know if that was something you were seeking to do when you when you started the show. Yeah, it is. You know, because we really throughout the whole small business revolution, while it while it is a show, and we're very proud of its success. The whole, the whole process surrounding it is really meant to be a movement. We're really trying to get people inspired to support the small businesses within their communities. And that's why it's a series so that we can do that through the storytelling and, and really get to know these business owners and, and what drives them. 
But what we love is that throughout that entire movement, it's really these small towns that understand the importance of supporting their small businesses and really can band together around the small business revolution. Um, each season where the show is shot is determined by the American public. We, we rely on nominations. Uh, we re- rely on voting. And so we just try to get as many small towns involved as possible around this positive momentum of celebrating uh, their community. Now, this town for season four is in Arkansas, which was sort of a different uh, place to go for the, for the series. I think this is the first time you've taped down south. Was that something That's you were hoping, were you hoping to get a town down south when you got all of the, the sort of applications from different towns across the country? What we really value in the series is telling as many stories as possible. And, you know, we, we never set out to do this series where every town would be featured in, in one state or one region of the country. We really do rely on those nominations to kind of guide us. Um, but we were excited to show a different um, kind of culture. You know, there is, a, there is a difference kind of in the Bible Belt of our country than where we shot in season one, which was Wabash, Indiana, kind of in the middle of the cornfields in, in Indiana, um, you know, and then season two was Bristolboro, just about a half an hour outside of Philly, much different kind of northeast vibe. And then Alton, Illinois, you know, a river town, you know, right on the, um, on the border there with Missouri. Like, it's just, it's, it's really fun to see kind of how similar the towns are in terms of what they're struggling with. Maybe a large industry has left pressure on the small businesses, um, trying to really figure out how they're going to recruit and, and retain, you know, folks that into their community. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there, but then there's a lot of differences um, based on kind of the region and just kind of some of the cultural norms that you see in different parts of, of our country. And so we were excited to, to seek something different. We didn't seek out necessarily to go to one part of the country or not, but we were excited um, the more we can showcase how similar some of these challenges are, and yet celebrate the differences. Yeah, and and Searcy was is an interesting town because it's almost reinvented itself twice, right? From when it was founded, and then I think it went through a lot of um, revitalization from the oil and gas business. But now it's 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 a nice, quiet community of about twenty four thousand people. Mm-hmm. And it sounds yeah, like- wow, you really do your research. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> No, I totally watched the show, and I, I, I loved it because, it, it, first of all, I'm from a small town, as I said, but what I thought was interesting in watching it is when you look at the demographics of Searcy, you know, it's, it's not a very diverse town, and yet what I found very striking in watching the show and watching, first of all, all the people that came to, to try to be one of the businesses that worked with you was how diverse the group of small business owners that were in that town. Yeah, as we were really trying to showcase through the series is really, you know, one of the things we find in towns, um, we've visited so many over the course of, of this work, and the things that we see that are common in towns that are thriving come down to a couple of things. Like they can band together around something positive. They understand the importance of celebrating their small businesses and supporting them. They really try to lean into what makes them unique and, and own that almost like a business would a brand. And then the, probably the most important thing in terms of growth is we see towns that are successful really are purposeful about diversity and inclusion. And don't just kind of say that they are again, intentional about how they make sure that their town is, is open and welcoming to all. I mean, 
you just have to be that kind of community if you want to grow, if you want this next generation to, to want to move there. Everybody wants to be in a place where they can be themselves. And that's when you get the best creativity and involvement. And everybody wants to, you know, be in a place where they feel welcome. And so we really, through the businesses we selected, wanted to kind of share that message that the future of Cersei might not look like what the past has, but it's still um, what makes it special is, is all these unique people coming together um, from a variety of backgrounds and, and working together to move the town um, into, into the future. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's very striking. And I, I think about the scene um, of the two women who own uh, this, is it Saver and Sip or Sip and Saver? And, you know, they were interesting because they said, look, we don't think Circe's ready yet for a rainbow flag outside the business, but they've been really accepting of us. And and it was a really just an emotional moment in the show. Um, And I think that that, that that's one of the interesting aspects of the show is how emotional it is. Yeah, thank you. You know, we don't seek out to make people cry, but we do get that feedback a lot. But they're happy tears. I mean, I think that's why the storytelling is so important, because you can not only put a face to a business, but you can make people's stories personal. So, um, you know, Amelia and Josie, that's a, a great example of, you know, when they were first selected, they were, you know, they were pretty open about the fact that they didn't want to just kind of be pegged as the, you know, um, just the, the token gay couple um, within a community um, that that isn't, you know, widely accepted. And, and we told them, that, obviously, no, of course, we're, we're here to help your coffee shop. And it was through the process of filming and in real life that they started to get these letters from people within the community who are saying, you know, man, when I'm in your coffee shop, I feel like I can be myself. And maybe I haven't always felt comfortable walking in my truth. But when I'm when I'm with you, when I'm around you, when I'm in your coffee shop, I feel like I'm at home. And um, again, I can I can be who I was born to be. And they started we saw them kind of almost make this shift where they said, wow, okay, maybe we actually have a responsibility, um, you know, for young kids who are growing up in this community right now who are gay, they need to see you have to kind of see it to be it. And, and not only are they, you know, again, living their truth and they're, they're open and they're out, but they're also pillars of the community. They're running a business. They're, you know, they are, um, and, the, and the community is accepting them. And so I think it's really important that that next generation growing up in Cersei sees that and can learn from their example. And it was really fun to watch them make that personal transition around going from, yeah, we're not going to, you know, make too big of a deal of it to, wow, maybe we need to embrace this and, and be um, a positive example for young kids. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing is, in each of the stories, there were a lot of just emotional connections that I think the storytelling really brings through. And, and the one story that I, I loved, and I actually want to know how the food is, is I loved Wilma, because I think mm-hmm. she... It's an interesting story in today's age, right? This is a woman who came over with her husband and four children from the Philippines. The United States didn't recognize her college degree. You know, she's, she's worked in Walmart and then started a restaurant. And, and watching the team, first of all, the emotional aspect of the story, but what I found so fascinating is by offering her some small business tips, right? Things that a lot of businesses take for granted, how it brought her business to life. And I think it was transformative. Yeah, thank you. You know, and that's, that's why 
we do this work because, you know, we never have to go in and invent a passion for the business, a skill set for the business. Wilma is an amazing cook. She obviously loves what she does. She's been doing it for 10 years. We never have to invent a personal story. These people are so amazing, but they do need help with those things that don't come naturally to business owners. You know, she didn't start her restaurant so she can make sure she's listed correctly on Yelp or make sure that her website is findable online or make sure that her menus are organized in, in, a, in a way that uh, gives the right brand experience. But those are the things that Deluxe does and we can help her with that. And we love to provide that in order to have her get back to doing what she loves and feel more comfortable, confident, and secure in running her business. Um, the same thing with the operational advice that you saw Anne Kim give um, the, the James Beard, a winning um, chef from Minneapolis, who uh, was the advisor in this episode, and the financial advice that we gave her, you know, it's about some of those little tweaks and knowing your numbers that can make a difference between not being able to pay yourself to living comfortably from the business you work so hard at. And so, and again, that's also why it's a series. We could just go in and help these businesses, and in real life, that's the core of the mission. But we make it a series so that other businesses can learn from the advice that we give in the episodes. And that's our favorite thing to hear is when entrepreneurs say, I couldn't write down notes fast enough, yet I was so moved by the story and entertained the whole time. I mean, we love kind of that, that juxtaposition and kind of that um, intersection of, of all of those realities of the series. Yeah, I mean, and there are Wilmas across the country, right, just trying to make the American dream happen. And I think one of the things that's very striking in sort of the team interviews when you're meeting with the business owners, even with the businesses you didn't pick, is as you started to scratch the surface, what you found was a lot of these small business owners who are the life of the community internally were struggling financially. And it's been a common theme in, in, in all the seasons is that small business owners don't always have the best tools available to them. And, you know, I think it becomes a question of how do we fix that? Yeah, I think, you know, it, uh, you know short of having the small business revolution come to your town, the reason Deluxe does these things in real life, and we work with four and a half million small businesses. The reason we do it is because of exactly the insights you see in the show. These, Things don't come naturally to business owners, and it's not why they started their business, but you're right, they need these resources. Um, you know, some of the things that we really make sure that all businesses that we work with focus on is, you know, making sure they're findable online, that they know their numbers, um, and that they really lean into what makes them different and, and have a good, solid brand around that. Um, but I, I think it's, it, it's really about making sure you're, loving running the business or at least paying attention to running the business as much as you are the core reason you started it. You know, if someone likes to bake and loves making croissants, like that's great, but there's also a lot of business behind running a bakery or if it's a barbershop or if it's a dog grooming salon, there's running a business in and of itself is the job. And so, um, you know, I think Deluxe is happy to provide those kind of resources, both through the services we offer and through, you know, the, um, uh, we provide a lot of content, just information for businesses that are going through some of these struggles. But I think, uh, I think it's really about advocating for yourself and, and asking for that help, getting that information and not being afraid to say, I don't know how to do this, you know, help me with X and, and, um, making sure that you're seeking help where your expertise isn't. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the United States, we have a severe lack of financial education in general, 
right? And the mm-hmm. idea of, first of all, building a business plan, then managing a P&L. You know, when you look at some of these small town businesses, it, it, it's just not any part of the process that they're taught about. And it's almost a shame that to some degree, we don't have more courses like this in school to teach people the importance of running your numbers and, and making sure you get paid. Yeah, I think people would be surprised how few businesses, to your earlier point, aren't making money. And I think from the outside, it always looks like, oh, you run a restaurant, you must just be rolling in it. And it's like, no, that's not the reality. They work far harder than most of us in corporate America and are taking home far less. And so um, it's, uh, that's part of also how we're trying to inspire people. It's through their stories, but also trying to kind of show the reality of how hard these people are working to provide something unique to our communities. And it's up to us to support them to keep those businesses around. Um, but I, I think, you know, when we're working with businesses and we're talking to them about the finances, the, the more you can know about accounting and financial planning, the better. But at the very least, we try to just have them go through a simple exercise where they first identify, you know, what they would like to be making from the business and then think about what does it cost you to run the business? Things like your building, your heat, your electricity, all the things that just cost you to just be in business. And then what are the things that it costs you to um, actually, um, what are the costs of, of goods? You know, what are, what are the, the cost of the products that you, that you carry? Or um, it's a little bit different in the services business, but just at the very least, what are you kind of putting as an output around your inventory? And then just think about what is it all, you know, what do you invest in things like marketing and things like that? And then working it backwards into a dashboard. So if we're working with a, a retail store, we, we say, how much do you need to sell every day to cover all of these costs? Not just how much did you make on that dress? That dress costs you more than what you paid for just the dress. It costs you, again, this building, what you should be making, if you have any staff, everything else. And I think that's the part that most businesses are missing. They, they get the profit margin per unit mm-hmm. pretty pretty well. We don't see a lot of uh, confusion around that, but they forget to add in all the other things that need to be every day's worth of sales and weeks that has to be burdened with those overhead and overall costs in terms of kind of a dashboard to see how you're doing. And so we try to make it as simple as possible. You can ve- obviously get very complex when you get into P&L management and balance sheets and everything else. And we advise them to, to continue to further the education around that. But at the very least, we just try to, you know, kind of encourage them to see what that visibility into your numbers can do for you. It's, it's hard to make decisions about your business if you're not listening to the business and the business speaks to you through the numbers. They always say, I don't know when I should hire someone new. And it's like, if you know your numbers, the data will tell you when it, when it makes sense to add someone else. And so we always just try to take it back to, it's not about math. It's about information. Like you need to know the information that your business is providing back to you so you can make informed decisions. How many of the small businesses, when you start working with them, are actually working with an accountant or a CPA? Or is this just they're doing it in the back of the envelope type of method? We've, we've seen a range. Most are working with some sort of accountant, but it's much more kind of just at the end of the year tax thing. And it's as much of a burden on the small business as it is. Yeah, it's just basically someone to help them file their taxes. Um, we work with some businesses that will, you know, walk us through kind of the the um, horror story of at the end of the year they sit down, and they have all the receipts all over the couch, and and you know mm-hmm. what do they, you know, how do they kind of process all of that through? 
Um, you know, and, and so working with an accountant on a regular basis can be really smart. And one that can help you kind of identify, again, some of these key indicators or, or key performance um, pieces of your business so you kind of know and, and have a sense for it before you get to the end of the year. Um, we're also very surprised how many businesses will tell us they're not sure if they made money the year before because they're combining their uh, business expenses with their personal expenses, which we um, always highly advise them to stop doing as soon as they can um, because you need to have that visibility into it. Um, I, at least some of the are working really, really hard to not be sure if they're taking home an income or not. And so kind of having it all in one pot, uh, it can be kind of a dangerous thing. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. I think that the challenge that the accounting community has is we need to be more proactive with with people when they have small businesses and sort of force them to have some of these tough discussions. But, you know, I think that's great because, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) I think sometimes accountants feel like they'll be overstepping, that if they're working with a small business, they must know these things and you don't want to maybe always give that advice. But I I would I would echo your encouragement to the accounting community that in the field that they, most businesses don't know they need this help they need to kind of think through these things and I think just by even simply asking like we could also help you with these things or this kind of planning or this kind of inventory management um, or thinking about the numbers around those things I think most businesses would take you up on it. I agree. I agree. Now, one of the things that strikes me about the show, right, is you have like businesses like Wilma, which are, you know, unique to small towns, little restaurant. But then you had Numa, which those women were unbelievable. And you also had like Sip and Savor. And what struck me about both of those businesses is if you showed them to me, and I'm sitting here in San Francisco, is I would not have thought that they were in Arkansas. And they appeared far more, you know, they, first of all, it gave me a very different impression of what small business is looking like across the country. But I was so wowed by their savviness. And I think that in particular with Numa, they had some different challenges. And that episode had a different feel to it than, than some of the other episodes because it was more about how do you grow and how do you build a business? How often are you finding Numas across the country? Um, pretty often in terms of people who wanted to see a certain kind of business or experiences in their town. And so they took it upon themselves to build it. Um, NUMA is certainly there, you know, kind of almost on the brink of franchising. They, they have a, a very repeatable model. They needed some operational help to really kind of solidify that um, and a little bit more breathing room financially to really be comfortable doing that. But in general, they are doing, you know, really, really well. But in terms of like really cool, innovative businesses, we, we do find that in small towns. And that's why it's fun to share these stories. Because I think most, if, you, if someone isn't from a small town and, and hasn't been to one lately, I think they think of them as maybe sleepier than they are. Um, you know, the, we're seeing the pendulum swing back where millennials want to move back to these smaller communities. They want their kids to be able to ride their bikes down the street and they're not worried about them. They want to walk to the coffee shop and have walkability. They want to be able to, you know, see their neighbors at the local restaurant. And with um, technology and um, kind of, you know, being able to work from wherever you are, people are even commuting um, uh, electronically. People are able to do that more and more. But we need to create experiences in communities where they want to spend time and and they feel culturally um, met. And so we just love when we see people just kind of take it upon themselves. Like if I want a cool yoga studio and I love yoga, maybe I should start it myself. Or if I want to 
really incredible arts-based coffee community gathering place, I, I could start that or encourage someone to. And so, so we are seeing that more than I think people would expect. And so that's why that story was so important to us this year, because, um, you know, it's, it's really fun to see how innovative some of these entrepreneurs are in our smaller communities. Well, and what was interesting about NUMA, which was the fitness studio, is those women, when you gave them advice, what I found fascinating is they, they took action, which I think is an important mm-hmm. lesson for entrepreneurs, is not only the ability to be nimble, but to be unafraid to take action. And is that one of your you know, things that you encourage them to do? Yes, and well said and well observed. I mean, we just, uh, every business we've worked with over the course of the four seasons has been uh, grateful and eager and has tried to learn, but we have never seen entrepreneurs quite like Casey and Nicole in the way that they were just thirsty and hungry for it. When I referenced earlier that running the business is as much the job as the craft or the skill set or the service you're providing, that is definitely the case with these ladies. They love yoga. They're incredible practitioners and great choreographers and they love the practice of the kind of yoga that they do, and it's an incredible experience. But they really do have a thirst for running a business and understanding the levers to pull and how to continue to build it. And so it was really fun for us to to work with um, entrepreneurs who were not only thirsty for it, but to your point, took action. I mean, we would just, we would, as you saw in the episode, we would just recommend or float out the idea of a price increase. And the next time we met with them, they had already done it. And then, I mean, they just, yeah, it was really fun to see, um, you know, them being like, they were just like sponges with the information and, and that uh, obviously honors us. That was great to work with them. Well, and I thought they brought up an interesting issue that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs. And, you know, particularly since I'm here in San Francisco, we see it all the time is one of their, you know, they sort of have that triangle of, you know, what three studios and one of the studios was not productive. And I think that that's a common challenge for entrepreneurs is that real estate costs are one of the biggest burdens. And I'm not sure how often entrepreneurs really think that through with small businesses when they're actually starting to build them. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very key insight. I think we would agree with you. And, um, and I think sometimes the, the fallacy can also be because it's a small town, rent must be just what it is, and it's not very expensive, but that's not always the case. And you know, we just really encourage them to also not be afraid to say this didn't work. You know, I think sometimes too, we see entrepreneurs go down a path and they're, they don't want to feel like any of the work that they put into that particular path was for not. They, they kind of don't want to admit maybe that they were um, uh, wrong about something. And sometimes it's like, but you learn so much from that. Like in that particular case, they've really learned a lot of lessons about taking over an existing studio and, and rent and, and build out of a space. And they learned a lot uh, that was extremely valuable that could have been much more costly down the road if they were to be opening a fifth or sixth location. Um, so, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Real estate can be quite a burden. And again, that's one of the things we always encourage them to think about in every daily sale, weekly sale, monthly sale, you have to think about those things spread out um, and, and be making up those costs because that definitely is uh, a burden on the finances. No, I think that's a great point. And Amanda, we're going to take a break right here, but please uh, keep listening because we will be back in a few moments with Amanda Brinkman from Small Business Revolution. From 
the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Every day in business, we hear jargon, see writing from so-called experts, and don't know what we should follow and what we should avoid. Now, there's a program to sort everything out. The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman is the program that provides actual best practices, insights, and real-world solutions that help business executives, technology executives, managers, and staff using straightforward talk. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Wealth Intersection with Megan Gorman. If you have a question or comment about the program, your money, or what it can do for you, please send an email to Megan at TheWealthIntersection.com. That's M-E-G-A-N at TheWealthIntersection.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to The Wealth Intersection. I'm Megan Gorman, and I'm here with Amanda Brinkman from Small Business Revolution Main Street. And in our first segment of the show, we've been talking to Amanda about this fourth season of the show, which took place in Searcy, Arkansas. But on this back half of the show, I want to talk about sort of what's next for the show, because I think you've got some big announcements coming out this week. Is that correct about season five? It is. On the 19th, uh, which I believe will be tomorrow, uh, we are going to be announcing uh, the top 10 towns for season five. And so the Small Business Revolution production team goes out and puts boots on the ground and visits these 10 communities, gets a sense for their ability to band together, kind of the small business climate within these communities, just really kind of gets a sense for each of these towns. And then after that, we'll narrow it down to the top five. Uh, and then it'll be put for public vote. And so we'll be announcing the top five on January 14th. And then uh, those towns have one week to rally the votes. And so last year, Searcy, Arkansas um, won after 1.6 million votes were submitted. Uh, and so the competition is, is stiff and fierce. Um, wow. So we're excited to see which towns make it through to the voting stage this year. And how, so, so explain, how do you vote? Like, do you go to Hulu? Do you go to your website? Wh- where can people go to learn about the towns and to vote? You can vote and learn about the towns at smallbusinessrevolution.org. 
so smallbusinessrevolution.org. Um, and people can watch the past four seasons there as well if they don't have Hulu. Um, the show is also on Prime Video. Um, but if you don't have Prime Video or uh, Hulu, you can catch up on past seasons uh, also on that website at smallbusinessrevolution.org. And we encourage people to follow us on social media. We'll be posting a lot as we get closer um, after we do the announcement. And, and as we get closer, we keep people updated through social media. So you can follow the Small Business Revolution in social. Or my handle is at Amanda K, uh, the letter K, Brinkman. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's talk a little bit about you because when you watch the show, you are a force of nature, Right. So where, you know, how did you get started in this and in the marketing and the brand envisioning that you do today for these people on the show? Well, thank you for that very generous compliment. That means a lot <laughs> coming from you. Um, you know, so I, I, my entire career has been in the advertising and marketing and, and production space. And I remember I was just telling the story the other day. I remember when I was in high school and having that classic conversation uh, with your your teacher, your guidance counselor around what are you you know what do you want to go to college for what do you or what do you want to be um, when you grow up and I remember saying that I was really attracted to branding and design and marketing, but it just seemed so secular and and I was really raised to give back and to do good in the world and I wanted to do that with my life um, so I thought well maybe I should just join the Peace Corps or become a teacher or something that's much more obviously you know goodness at its core. And I remember clear, clear as day, the teacher said, but Amanda, if people who go into market or if people who want to do good, don't go into marketing, how will marketing ever get better? Mm-hmm. And so that completely changed my perspective on it. And so now I've spent my career trying to really show how marketing and the giant megaphone we're standing behind as brands and as advertisers, how we actually have a huge platform to try and advocate for not only goodness in the world, but to try and make the world a better place. Um, And so I tried to do that throughout my career, but this is probably the the best uh, example of it where, you know, for us at Deluxe, we want to reach small businesses. We work with small businesses, but instead of just doing an ad campaign, talking at them, we're standing way on the other side of our competitors and, and walking alongside small businesses and trying to advocate for them. We're putting our money where our mouth is and going out and changing lives and, and, and truly working with them in a, in a way that um, is good. And so, you know, so for me, I've always spent my, my uh, career in marketing, but what I'm really proud of through this work is it, it's good for deluxe, but it's also good for small businesses. Um, I recently gave a, a TEDx talk around the fact that com- I believe companies can do well by doing good. And I go on to say that it's not about just defining brand purpose or giving away money. It's about actually taking brand action. What is your company actually out there doing? And so I'm really proud that the Small Business Revolution is an example of that for Deluxe. Now, what's really interesting is Deluxe is not a new company. It's been around 100 years or over 100 years now, correct? Yes, 105. Well, and I think the way I understand the story or sort of the, the, the sort of inspiration for the show was the fact that this company was going to be celebrating its 100th birthday. And you went, was it you that you went to the CEO with an idea or how did this actually come into fruition? Yeah, so I was, I was hired really with the intention to or the, the mission to how do you turn around a 100-year-old brand um, that's known for a legacy product 
that's still important to our business, but we really wanted to be known for our future. And so our legacy product is in, in the check space. So Deluxe invented uh, the personal checkbook and invented much of the way the, the world still moves money, but that wasn't what our future of our company was really based on. So when I was brought in as the chief brand officer, the task was how do we not only raise awareness of Deluxe, but change perceptions that we do all these other things for small businesses now, like their marketing and, and other operational and financial things. And I just really believe the best way to do that would be to do good for small businesses. That's how you reach customers if you make a difference in their lives beyond selling them things. I mean, other companies also sell websites. Other companies also do logos or promo and apparel. But other companies are just advertising at small businesses. Nobody was really championing them or walking alongside them. And so uh, I just, so when I was hired, that was, that was kind of my pitch was like, we're going to have to do something bold. I want it to be um, really true and core uh, to its, its being. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where the idea came from. And so in that first year of the small business revolution, um, it, uh, we went across the country and told a hundred stories of small businesses all throughout our hundredth year. And so the first year of it, it actually wasn't a, a TV series like you see today. It was, really these mini episodes where we would tell the stories of small businesses through beautiful films and photo essays. And, um, you know, the, the strategy behind that was really let's stretch our spend. We had a limited budget, but instead of spending those dollars on paid advertising, talking about ourselves, let's use those same dollars, turn the camera around and tell the stories of beautiful small businesses, all with the hopes again, to kind of create this movement I talk about and, and trying to inspire people to support small businesses. Um, and then it was on that road that we really saw the small businesses struggling in small towns, and that's where it evolved into the show that it is today. And, and it really is a movement now. I mean, and, and this movement, if I understand correctly, it just got announced you're going to be speaking at Dreamforce this week. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And I was going to tell you, I mean, you're in San Francisco. Numa is actually coming out with us as well. We're going to be um, shooting a little follow-up episode with Nicole and Casey um, and Salesforce. We're um, expanding our partnership with Salesforce and going to be doing some exciting things, shooting kind of a bonus episode with them. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Because those two women were unbelievable. They were really just cool and their business was unbelievable. But that's a good sort of, you know, when you think of Numa, right? And even, you know, Wilma and the Sip and Saver in the fourth season, you know, when you look at Americans starting businesses, you and I are Gen Xers, right? And when we think about 20 years ago, women started businesses, but this data point came out recently that said over the past 20 years, the number of female-owned business has grown 114%, which seems unbelievable. And I don't know if it's you know, the advent of the internet has changed it or you know, the female empowerment movement, but women are really engaged in starting businesses today. And I'm assuming you're seeing that as you go across the country. We really are. And it's so cool. I mean, you know, I, I just think, I mean, Numa is a great example of like, you know, um, they are, they're both married. They were, they have, um, you know, young kids at home, their husbands do well for themselves, but that didn't stop them from like, we have a business idea. We're going to be great at running a business. Let's do it. And I just, I love kind of this new sense of empowerment that we're seeing um, in these generations. And, and we are seeing more and more women say, I, I control my own destiny. I can run my own business. I'm going to do this. 
and we love to see it. And I think so many women come out of the woodwork to support each other around that, that you just see that really great sense of community. Um, in Minneapolis, I was just at a at an event for, um, you know, uh, Women's uh, Entrepreneurship Day, you know, they had events throughout the country. And it was just, it was really neat just to see how women want to support other women. I think some of that, that queen bee or competitiveness that sometimes women in leadership get a bad rap for, I think we're seeing that go to the wayside and we're understanding that the real power is in rallying together and encouraging each other and, um, and really being a support system. Yeah, and what's interesting, a couple weeks ago, we had on the show Kate Luzio, who runs um, The Luminary in New York City, and it's a workspace for women. Men are welcomed, but, you know, it's a, it's, it's a really unique co-working space where they have events and so on. But what it was always striking to me whenever you walk into The Luminary, and I don't know if you've had a chance to be there, is it's so supportive of women. And, the, like, you just start talking to other women in the space, and you feel like you're all rooting for each other. And I think that that's a huge change from 20 years ago. Um, it, it's just women, I think, have become more supportive. But I think one of the challenges that women face, and I say this as somebody who owns a business, um, is, you know, are we getting paid at the same level as men who own businesses? And, and what's striking in the episode with Numa is there's a scene where you're sitting with the two young women and they admit they're not getting paid yet or they're not getting paid anything really substantial. And one of the women, you sort of say, well, what, what do you want to make? What, what's, what's the, the number? And she sort of says, well, 200,000. And I think you look at her and you say, well, just you and, or for both of you. And she's like, well, I'm not sharing, but and she was kidding about it. But what I thought was interesting about it is first I, when I heard her say it, I'm like, girl, come on, shoot for more. Um, but the, but the part of it was, you know, as good as their business was, as savvy as it was, they just didn't feel ready to pay themselves at that letter level. And I think that that part of the, the episode is very emblematic of, of what happens with a lot of female-owned businesses. And I don't know if that's what you're seeing. I think that's true. And, it, and I don't even know if I would consider it unique to women, but I, they're probably more likely to feel this way. And that's this like aspect of almost like guilt around paying themselves. Stacey Anderson, the expert in the NUMA episode, she's the, the president of Anytime Fitness. So she was like the perfect expert for them. Um, she says that at one point when we we're looking at their numbers, she's like, you know, that is what a business is meant to do. It is meant to pay you. You know, Don't be shy about knowing what you want to make and demanding that as a business. And there is no guilt in that. Like you should be making money. That's why you are working so hard. Um, and it's so interesting that you had that reaction to the 200,000. We've debated for a long time keeping that in the episode or not, because in corporate America, that number wouldn't really, it's, it's a big number. That's a great salary for sure. Um, but in corporate America, that, that wouldn't be as, as um, uh, noteworthy or, or something. But in, in a small town, we, were, we also didn't want them to kind of have that people saying like, oh boy, they need to make that much money. And, um, you, but they deserve that. When, they, when you think about how hard they work, like you should be able to get out of your business, you know, what um, you deserve. Well, it also, what struck me is, you know, living in, in a, coming from a small town, but then living in a big city, you know, in a small town, that is a huge number. And it's, it's life changing mm -hmm. money. And yet in a New York City mm -hmm. or San Francisco, to your point, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, but I think it also, 
at least she was articulating it and she was putting it out there. And I think that that was good. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, that both of those women end up exceeding that and finding, you know, finding what they want to get out of in the, in building their business. Um, but I actually am glad you kept that scene. Um, I think it was, it was good to hear them talk numbers a bit more. Mm-hmm. And especially Thank since you. in a couple of the other episodes, what I thought was interesting, I think it was Cody and Megan where Cody was being supported by his wife while he pursued his business. So, you know, I thought that was an interesting sort of gender issue there or marriage issue where one spouse is helping the other spouse sort of grow their business by being the one who pays the bills. And I'm seeing yeah, I mean, that, that quite that, a bit. Yes, very much so. And it really is a place of, of privilege for entrepreneurs who do have a spouse who is working. There is, there is a safety net there and a, and a level of comfort for sure. Um, and I think it's so, what we do find really interesting is that both, if you're married or in a relationship or a partnership, both you and your spouse have to be kind of committing to the business, even if you're the one running it, because when you, the entrepreneurial life is a pretty 24-7 thing. So while Megan is, is pretty involved in organic and, and helps Cody with social media and a few other things, some, some spouses aren't involved at all, but they still need to kind of be signing up mm-hmm. for that entrepreneurial lifestyle as a family as well. And so we do see that a lot where it's like both spouses have to kind of really see the vision in it and really believe in it because it'll be kind of an all consuming thing. Yeah, I could see that. I can definitely see that. So when you think about the past couple of seasons, has anything changed for you in how you view small businesses or is it just confirming what you've always believed about them? Uh, when I, my husband and I always come up with small businesses. Uh, we feel like every, every Friday night over a beer, we're like, you know what business we should start? You know, we always have these, <laughs> these grand ideas. <laughs> yes. um, and so I think I've always felt that kind of entrepreneurial pull. I love building things. I love ideas. I love creativity. Um, but I think the more time I spend with small businesses, I get the question quite often, now that you spend so much time with small businesses, when will you start your own? And I would have to say, by spending a lot of time with small businesses, I have seen firsthand how hard they work. And so two things have changed. One, I, I thought I was a big shop, local, support small businesses supporter before this work. Now I'm like, I am, <laughs> I am a zealot for them. I mean, they ha- like it, I see... Um, how much they rely on that business and how important it is to them and how hard they work for that business. And so it's made me an even more avid supporter of it, seeing what mm-hmm. a difference it makes. And then two, um, it's, it's, it's cautioned me to really, really tighten those ideas. There's, it would have to be an idea we are so passionate about that we want it to kind of be that all-consuming space that we want to make um, sacrifices financially and personally in order to pursue that particular idea. So it's, it's made me pull back and say, it's got to be an idea that's really, really solid to make that kind of personal sacrifice. Um, and I just have so much respect for entrepreneurs. I mean, it is, it is, you can always be doing more to grow your business. There is no closing the laptop and you're done with work for the day. When you're an entrepreneur, it is, um, well, you can attest, it's, it's, um, it's your life. It, it, it completely is. And I think you brought up something important there that I wanted to ask about, which is the idea of buying local. Because we always see those signs. And, and you're in Minneapolis, right? Home of Target. Um, you know, what does it really mean to buy local? Like, let's uh, give, give some insight into that, especially as we go into Christmas. So we, yeah, absolutely. So the re- retail sector is one 
we're, we have a lot of discussion and debate around this. So when we're working with retailers, we really try to encourage them, you know, online competition and big box stores aren't going away and it's only going to become more intense. But every business, large or small, has always needed to evolve, whether it's around technology, consumer buying habits, consumer um, trends. I mean, there's always kind of this evolutionary nature to retail. And so we try to encourage them to think about a couple of things. One, don't try to compete on the things that big box and online is just going to crush you on from a volume perspective. Um, everybody wants to buy less expensive toilet paper, and all your commodity items. Like just don't try to compete. You're, it's going to be too tough to compete on price. So start to really evolve the things you offer. So think about that curation piece. Um, and lean into what makes you different. So the differentiator for a small business, especially a retailer, is that customer service, uh, knowing your customers, uh, making sure that not only the experience of your store, but the way you treat them is just white glove. Because no recommendation algorithm, no box arriving on my doorstep can can replace what it feels like when you make eye contact with someone, they see you, they hear you, they listen to, to what you're um, what you're looking for and really work hard to help you find that. Or they, you know, we see in a lot of these small towns, they'll say, oh, I, I picked up these earrings because Betty loves these kind and I saw them. And so I, I picked them up and Betty sure, sure as heck walks in and she loves them. And like that's, you know, no online retailer can replace that kind of personal connection. So we're always telling retailers to really lean into the things that you can compete on, which is the customer service, your curation, the things that you're carrying that are unique and have a story to them, whether it's like local artisan goods or just something that really there's a, there is a story that is attached to it. And then just don't try to compete on price. Really understand that either what you're offering is convenience or that curation or that service and, and um, you know, really kind of own that branded experience. Uh, and just evolve what you carry. Um, there's just some things you aren't going to be able to compete on and to be frank, our, our economy and our consumer buying habits need both small and big business. Uh, we're never um, unrealistic to think that everyone can do all of their shopping all the time moving forward at a small business. We all want the convenience. We all need uh, the discounting pricing on certain items, but not on everything. You know, where you go to eat with your family on a Friday night or where you buy your gifts that you want a story behind, um, where you get your hair cut. There's, there's a lot of businesses that you can quote unquote shop local. Um, and, uh, the more we can, you know, we always encourage people like just one more purchase this week that you may have gone to a, a, a big box store, just try and do it local. And then the next week, try and do two. And just, you can start to kind of notice your buying habits. We just, we carry a lot of power in where we spend our dollars. No, I think that's true. And I think the one, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur listening, right. And I have a, a shop in a small town, how important is, is, social media and, and specifically even doing things like Shopify. I mean, is that where small business owners should also focus their time? Local search is exceptionally important for small businesses in small towns. I think we have seen too many businesses kind of fall under this fallacy of like, well, it's a small town. Everybody knows I'm here, but like Saver and Sip is a perfect example. When we went in and looked at their Google listing, uh, you know, if you haven't claimed your listing or if you're not actively managing um, mm -hmm. your directory listings across platforms, Google starts to make assumptions about what kind of business you are when you're open. 
Um, you can't respond to reviews. So first and foremost, we always encourage businesses to clean your listings so that you can um, really con- control that interaction that people have with you from a search perspective. But just by changing it, they were listed as crepery first and then coffee shop. Oh, wow. Crepery is okay. a very niche thing. And so they just couldn't understand why people didn't know that they offered coffee. Like, well, because you haven't told the internet you offer coffee. <laughs> um, and so when people were searching for coffee house in Searcy, again, to your point uh, at the top of the episode, a town of less than 24,000, they were like ranked number 14, you know, behind some of the national chains. And so just by flipping those two, we helped them go all the way up to, I believe it was number four. And so it's really important to pay attention to local search. We always tell businesses, if people can't find you online, it's as mm-hmm. silly as having a storefront without a door and a sign. Like people need to be able to find you and search is the name of the game. And so between having a website and thinking about the keywords on your site, between making sure that you are listed on the right directories and that you have claimed those listings, those kinds of things really make a difference for how what your online kind of digital footprint is. And some of those things are very inexpensive. Like claiming your Google listing is free. It just takes a little bit of work, but it's so worth it. And I think you even told the sip and saver couple that anytime they take a picture, try to get their emblem in it. And I remember thinking, you know, that's very, you know, obvious, but yet how many people actually do that in managing their social media? Um, and mm-hmm. and my, I think one of the biggest things that most people don't realize about social media now is it used to be 10, 20 years ago, the big agencies were the ones who, you know, drove the marketing. And the fact that we can market on a phone is, is just, it's a game changer for a lot of businesses. It is. And so what we found, I mean, this is actually why Deluxe evolved into the space because with the advent of the internet, you know, years and years ago, we really noticed that it leveled the playing field for small businesses, which was awesome. It means you can show up big online, you can put up a website, you can develop a really sophisticated brand, and it looks like you've been this established business. So that's awesome. But with that comes that just because marketing is accessible to businesses of all sizes, it's now expected of businesses of all sizes. You expect to be able to search uh, for coffee shops and the, the right local ones will, will come up. Um, and so it, it's, it, it, there's almost a responsibility now if you're going to be in business to be able to do it. And so you're right, there are tools that make it much easier, but now it's kind of table stakes. So in the last few minutes, give us sort of your best piece of advice for entrepreneurs. My best piece of advice is to make sure that you are findable online. Um, As we've been talking about, the number one thing is, and you can research that yourself. You can, um, you know, search for the kinds of terms you think people would be searching for. uh, And so just make sure that you're, you're findable online. And then very, very close second, so I have to sneak it in is really making sure you have a great brand. And by brand, we mean everything from your logo, your colors, the consistency of your use of those things. Because with that, I mean, people make split-second subliminal decisions about how professional you are, how polished you are, how established you are, if they can trust you, all through those types of things. And so by by paying a little bit more attention to that or finding a partner like a deluxe or or, uh, someone who can help you with those things, it can really, um, it can just position you at at a whole different level. And so um, we really feel like marketing is, is the thing that makes the biggest difference for small businesses. 
And Deluxe's website has tools for small businesses as well. I think when I went on there, I was amazed to see there were calculators and, and even like instructional videos on how to do this type of stuff. Am I, am I right? You are because, you know, we, we love to provide these products and services, but so much of it is just information. And earlier you asked me about um, my own background and getting into it. To me, this is such a blessing. Marketing comes naturally to some of us, or we've gone into this, this field of work. And so if that insight or knowledge can be helpful to someone in pursuit of their dream and providing for their family, like it's a blessing to be able to provide those things. And so, so Deluxe, has, you're right, we have a whole, um, a whole library of content and resources in every kind of format you can imagine based on how people consume that kind of information, because we just can't help but share it. We want to make sure that people really um, have the knowledge to be successful. Knowledge is really power. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I want to just end with a quote that appears in one of the episodes, because it, it really struck me as somebody who's from a small town, but I think it's also a reason why people should tune in and watch the show. And in one of the early episodes, somebody says, it's a city where thousands live and millions wish they could. And I think that's what really encompasses small towns, small town businesses, and sort of the camaraderie in being in those very special places. And I don't know if you remember that quote, but it just sort of, it stuck with me. Yeah, I do. Brandon made it. It, it's, um, it, is, very, it is very true. It is very true. I think we are all hungry for a sense of community and human connection. Um, technology is fantastic and ease in access to information, um, you know, is game changing, but we all still, the, the world still runs on the currency of human connection and supporting each other. And I just believe we're all on this planet to make each other's lives better in whatever way better means to that person. And so if we can all kind of live in pursuit of that, and if we can, if small towns can, can provide that sense of community, or if you can create that within your own neighborhood or um, a community in, in a larger city, I think it's just about making sure we're going out of our way to connect with others. I think that's great. And Amanda, can you tell everyone where they can find the show, where they can follow you, where they can follow all the shows? Because not only can they follow the show, but you can follow all the different businesses if you follow the show, because they have the, the um, Instagram names on there. So where can we find all yeah, that? Yeah. So we encourage people to go to smallbusinessrevolution.org. Um, and in the bottom footer, you can click over to all of our social handles. So the Small Business Revolution is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, again, smallbusinessrevolution.org. Um, and uh, they can follow me at Amanda K. Brinkman. And that's my handle across all three of those platforms as well. Excellent. So make sure you oh, they tune can also in. watch the show on Hulu and Prime. Sorry. Exactly. And you can watch season five's finalists being announced this week um, on the show to sort of see what small towns across the country are going to be on the next season. Um, Amanda, thank you again. And I'm Megan Gorman. You can follow me at Wealth Intersect or at www.thewealthintersection.com. Until then, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Wealth Intersection. Megan Gorman will be back with another program next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. 